The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation he provides for all who submit to him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. All right, we're starting a new series here, uh, Following the Way of Jesus, going through the Gospel of Mark. And we're pretty excited about this. It's going to be fun to be able to look at the story of Jesus, consider who Jesus is, what he means, and how we can better walk in his way rather than getting consumed with ourselves or or with the world. Mark is just one of four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all more or less tell the same story, big picture, and a lot of the same stories um, from chapter to chapter. But there's also a lot of variety. They organize the stories in different ways. They emphasize different themes with those stories. Uh, some of them include stories that the others don't include and vice versa all the way through. And so uh, we're going to be using the Gospel of Mark for this series. So, uh, Caleb, whenever you think about the Gospel of Mark, what's special about it? Why is the Gospel of Mark particularly helpful to us as we try to learn about Jesus and follow the way of Jesus? Well, this book is really special to me. It's the first book I ever read and learned for myself uh, when I was in high school one of my mentors took me aside and said, hey, let me teach you this book of the Bible. And I really started reading it, learning it uh, and uh, studying it carefully and trying to share it with other people. So uh, it's special in that way for me. But I think it's 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 especially helpful, too, because Mark is very direct. Um, mm-hmm. And as New Yorkers, we love people being direct. Mark gets straight to the point. He doesn't waste time. He, he's it, all throughout the book. He's in, it's immediately. This is a book for fast paced people. Um, and uh, and Mark has a way of getting to the critical, uh, essential key points um, that we need to hear in a, in, in, a, in a brevity that I think New Yorkers can appreciate. That's a great point. I've never thought of this. That's the New York gospel. I haven't thought about it that way. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, um, Mark's interesting. There's some features that are a little different in Mark than other gospels. If you have a red letter Bible, if you flip through Mark, you'll probably notice it's kind of one of the least red splashed pages. I mean, it's, it's a lot more of here's stuff Jesus did. And there are teaching sections, but they're usually shorter with the exception of like chapter four, chapters 11 and 12 and, and 13. Um, so it's just really action packed to your point. Right. Um, but also the way Jesus is presented is, is a very on the ground. When you read John, for instance, it's Jesus, the philosopher king, who you're kind of a lot of times scratching your head, not really sure exactly what he's talking about or whatever. Mark's kind of the opposite. Jesus is very accessible. Um, a lot of times I think when people talk about the differences between the Gospels, and maybe this is a silly way to talk. But to me, Mark is one of the most immediately accessible of the Gospels. It's Jesus 101. Here's what he did. Here's what he said. Yeah, there are a few stories and parables that get left out, but you really get a good kind of introductory picture of Jesus. Then you go to maybe Jesus 200 level with the Gospel of Luke, where you get more detailed and you get up to like 300 level class where you're getting into the Gospel of Matthew and how the Old Testament weaves into the story of Jesus. And then John, maybe the 400 level class. Um, I know all the Gospels can be immediately accessible to everybody, but Mark is probably the easiest one to just pick up and kind of roll with it. Um, But that being said, it's a very sophisticated book that's telling us a really important story. It's not just cataloging. Here's some stuff Jesus did. And I think even what we're going to look at in the first part of Mark chapter one today kind of sets the stage 
for the story that Mark's telling throughout the whole book to impress upon us uh, who Jesus really is and what he means and how we can follow in the way of Jesus instead of uh, staying caught up in the world. What else do you think is good to say about big picture about the book of Mark as we kind of set it up um, before we start getting into the text here? So I love the uh, the first line of this book, I think really sets up what is the critical uh, thesis of the book, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Um, be looking for those key words throughout this gospel. They're going to come up in some really important places uh, as we read it. So right here at the beginning in our in our reading today, we're going to see an emphasis on Jesus as the Christ, that is the King and the Son of God. And that will happen again at a very critical point in the middle of the book where there's an emphasis on Jesus being the Christ and then a story about him being the Son of God. And then it happens again at the end. And John, And I think the reason for that is Mark is trying to show us not just tell us that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, but he's trying to show us evidence of that. Maybe that's why the first half of this book is like 22 stories of miracles or something like that. something incredible like that, you know, just one after another, after another to show, Hey, this is who Jesus really is. With a real emphasis on his power and his authority, that's which right. speaks exactly what you're saying. And so let's go ahead and just read these first 15 verses uh, which give us sort of these snapshot images of the beginning of Jesus's uh, coming into his ministry and the emphasis being exactly what you said. And sort of the theme of our discussion today, and what we're going to look at in this text is the theme of Jesus, the King of God's kingdom. Let's read from Mark uh, starting in uh, chapter one, verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was there with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So just to start us off on a meta level, exactly to your point, uh, this section is bookended with references to the gospel, which I think is good for us. Uh, that For us, that's a purely religious wor word. But for people that day, it was kind of more of a political word often. It would right. be something whenever a new king would be uh, brought into power, you would send these little dudes. They didn't have newspapers and news media and social media. They would send people out, heralds, 
gospelers who would go out and proclaim to people the good news, because it's always kind of good news when there's a new king. Even if it was a good one before, there's always new hope, new promise with a new king. And so this section begins and ends with a reference to the good news of the kingdom. Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And then verse 15, that's Jesus' message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Um, so throughout this section, we're going to be talking about a number of things that emphasize this notion of Jesus being the king and his rule over the kingdom of God. But what do you see at the top of the text here as, as uh, Mark introduces us to the kingdom of God and Jesus the king? Well, to your point, there's actually an ancient inscription uh, that says the gospel of Caesar Augustus. And I think that's really important for us to recognize here at the very beginning that John Mark, when he writes this book, is trying to show us uh, it's a very revolutionary book yeah. that Caesar is not king. Jesus is. Um, and I think that's really critical for us. Uh, the weird part, though, is that he says that at the beginning, he makes these incredible claims about Jesus, and then he just moves right away from Jesus altogether. And the next scene after the intro line is um, about a whole nother dude, you know, John the Baptist. And so uh, we're thinking like, well, what does he have to do with the story of Jesus, the Christ, the son of God? Um, but as I'm reading this again, I'm reminded that actually, no, the reason John the Baptist takes center stage in this first scene is because he had a role to play to prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Um and uh, what becomes very clear as we read this is that there were some uh, paths that were crooked. And I don't think here that uh, that John the Baptist was in the construction business where he's working on roads. But the idea is that the lives of the people are crooked. And that's why John appears baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The people's lives were crooked. They needed to change. They needed to turn around. In order, to, in order to be prepared for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And so John's role is to be that trailblazer, to go ahead of the king who's coming, and he's the messenger sent ahead, the herald, to, to pronounce the message ahead of time. Hey, the king is coming. Get ready and get your life right so that you'll be prepared to accept the king when he arrives. Yeah. And to your point, this is a revolutionary message, and uh, John himself is sort of emblematic of how revolutionary the kingdom right. of God is not just that, oh, this is gonna be a different king and a different kingdom, but it's a different sort of kingdom. Right. Uh, right. And, and we should talk maybe more about his his uh, his message and the ministry. I mean, you kind of outlined the big picture ministry. We've got his uh, his message to some extent in verse four. But I think he's just talking about the man, which is kind of what we've got with John. We've got his ministry, which is to prepare the way of the Lord. We've got his message, which is at least alluded to in verse four. Uh, and then we've got the man. And uh, John's a really interesting, uh, I just think he would have been a pretty wild person to, to get to meet, you know. So he's described in, uh, in uh, verse six that he was clothed in camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. I want to be careful because to be fair, all that's wild to me because I've never, I don't know what camel's hair even looks like. Probably there were people running around in camel's hair back then, but it is noted how he's dressed, which means it was notable to the people then, right. at least right. that he wasn't like the elegant, well-dressed, long robes of uh, city folk of That's Jerusalem, right. for instance, and the religious elite. So even if maybe he was lining up with the common people out in the wilderness or out in the you know hinterlands outside of Jerusalem, but he was not somebody that looked very elegant. 
the fact that he ate locusts and wild honey, that's not, there's nobody diet. There's nothing in the Bible says like, ah, oh, this is what the holy people will eat. Or this is what, when you read historical records, this is what the real common food was. Now this guy was doing some different kinds of stuff, even the location where he is. He's setting up shop in the wilderness. Part of that is to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 40 and, and otherwise about that, that spoke about John. But part of it also is just emblematic of, hey, this kingdom and the king who's going to rule over it is a different type of king. And it's a different type of kingdom than anything you've ever experienced. And John, the man, sort of embodies that in a lot of ways as he's preparing people for the way of the Lord. Yeah, that was my thought, too. You know, he's not setting up shop in the synagogue or outside the temple as he's preaching, he's way out. You know, people got to come out to him to see him and hear him. Uh, and they are. There was something about his message and something about um, what John is doing that was attractive to the people, that people are like, hey, they're leaving the synagogues and they're leaving the temple and they're leaving the cities to go out to him um, and to hear this message being proclaimed. Yeah. Well, and so maybe that's, let's talk about the message. We talked about his ministry, which is to get people ready for the coming of Jesus. We see him, the man, he's different. He's not like everybody else. He's emblematic of the fact this is a different kingdom, but let's talk about the message a little bit. So I, I don't know what you see. I, I see two things here. One, um, there's the message of change. Like you need to change everything about your life. If this, if you're going to submit to this king, if you're going to be a part of this kingdom, everything has to change. And that I see that, especially with baptism, with which, which is, is he's calling them to a new beginning, a new birth. Mm -hmm. um, and then also with repentance, the, the word means to turn or to change your mind. And, and the picture here is that there's going to have to be a, 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 a U-turn made in the lives of the people um, where they recognize that they've been going down a wrong direction. They've been on a crooked path that leads to destruction. And now they're choosing to take the straight and righteous path. So that's that's on the one hand, there's this message of change. And then uh, the second part of his message really, I think, insists on why that change is necessary. Because somebody's coming who's a whole lot greater than I am. And after me, uh, I'm not even worthy to untie his, uh, untie his sandals. John is really stressing, hey, I'm... You may be attracted to what I'm saying. You may be impressed by my preaching and by the message that I'm giving, but I'm not the guy. Somebody's coming who's going to be a whole lot greater than I am. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kind of embedded in both of those, um, I think there's one other thing we can draw out from what Matthew and Luke say. Matthew and Luke give us, well, really Matthew, Luke, and John give us a good bit more of the actual content of John's preaching. Um, and And at least Matthew and Luke emphasize uh, the, and this, this goes along with the change thing, the repentance deal, but that is how evil sin is. I think it's Luke, especially where he outlines, stop doing this, change this, don't do that. Um, and of course the fact that when people are going out to him, they're being baptized him by, uh, by him in the river, confessing their sins. So that goes along with both the change piece. And of course him pointing to Jesus is you have this problem. And that's really what Jesus is coming to bring the solution to. Jesus is coming to rule over sin and death. Jesus is coming over to bring all of you so you'll be under his rule rather than the rule of sin and death. But that means you got to turn away from your sins. you got to recognize it for how bad it is. So when John was preaching, he was letting people know the way you're living is wrong and bad and destructive. You need to have that stuff washed away. You need to repent, be baptized, wash away your sins. I know that's language for later in the book of Acts, but that is the message John was preaching here. And while Jesus hadn't yet come and he wasn't yet the Christ, he's pointing to, here's the reason. 
Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, is coming. I think even that reference there, and, and, and we won't really go too far down this rabbit hole. You may want to do a little bit on this. I don't know. But the reference there about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, this is a fun thing. If anybody wants to check it out, go read in the prophets, references to the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking about passages like Isaiah 32, a um, little bit of Isaiah 61, maybe not so much there. Maybe that comes in a little bit later. But Isaiah 32 in particular Ezekiel 36 through 39, that section, you've got some spirit references. They're directly attached to the king who would reign in righteousness. And I think that's, that's, I don't think that would have been uh, missed by John or by his listeners that, hey, whenever he's talking about this baptism that's going to come with, through, by the Holy Spirit that is with the Holy Spirit, who has the authority to do that? The king of God's kingdom. The one who's coming, who's mightier than I and who's before me. He's the king who's going to reign in righteousness. And you know what that means. Everything's changing. Everything's changing. And of course, that's going to be visibly made, made known even at the baptism of Jesus. But this just goes that big picture of what you're saying. This change that comes in Jesus uh, is a big deal. And that's what John's trying to make people understand. It reminds me of that uh, movie. I don't know if you ever saw it. My sisters used to watch this movie. Uh, I think it was called The Princess Diaries, something like that, where... Um, where the 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 girl wait, wait to like put that on your sisters we know you're pulling out that vhs go ahead those yeah, right. yeah 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 um but the girl uh realizes at some point that she's royalty and like everything in her life has to change because she's part of the kingdom you know and uh and so in order to act like you know and we've seen this with the the death of the queen um you know of late like there's a there's a certain way that royalty has to act. And I, I really believe that John the Baptist in his own strange, unique, weird way is really stressing that idea to the people that, hey, because the king is coming, because the Messiah is coming, everything about your life has to undergo this radical reformation, this radical transformation. Nothing about your life can be the same anymore if you're going to follow the way of the king. Yeah. Then the king comes on the scene. In, in the story, uh, verse nine. So, so the picture here, just to orient ourselves, John's out here in the wilderness by the river Jordan, a very important location for Israel's history. This is how their, their lives changed. And they came into the promised land and the kingdom was established, Joshua, David, etc. cetera. Um, and so here John is, and you can just imagine flocks of people. I mean, it says there are many people who are coming out there. Uh, verse five, all the country of Judea and Jerusalem was going out there. And we're being baptized. We know there were people that were rejecting, but there were a lot of people that were embracing this. And so one day, whenever this day was, all those people were there gathered to be baptized, confessing their sins, being baptized in repentance, going off with joy that they've been forgiven. And there was one figure in line in the crowd. However, all the people were assembled who was unlike everybody else. He wasn't there because he had any sins. Matter of fact, I just imagine somebody turning and saying, so what sins do you have to confess? What are you repenting of? And him saying, ah, actually nothing, honestly. And the the shock and the strangeness of that. And I imagine that person watching him go down to the water and him have a conversation with John, which isn't recorded here. But we learn from Matthew and Luke's account that John protested. No, no, no. I need to be baptized by you. I'm not, I should not be baptizing you. You're the one who's mightier. You're the one who's greater. And Jesus says to John, let it be so that all righteousness may be fulfilled. And John baptizes Jesus. And the detail that Mark does give us 
He said, whenever Jesus comes out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening. And as I understand it, I'm not a language savant, but as I understand it, that word opening, it really could be more like it, it's a more, it's not just opening like, oh, they opened the door, like a very sweet, gentle kind of thing. But it's more the idea that it was torn open. It was ripped open, kind of like later on in at the end of Jesus' life, the veil of the temple is going to be torn open. Uh, the, the heavens are torn open and the spirit descends on him like a dove fulfilling a number of prophecies like Isaiah 61 we, re we referenced earlier that the right. spirit of the Lord God is upon me so that I may go, et cetera, et cetera. And then this voice comes from heaven. You are my beloved son with you. I'm well pleased. The baptism of Jesus is amazing for a number of reasons. Um, I think just to keep going on, on this King theme that we've been hitting, I, I kind of like to think about the baptism of Jesus as his coronation. He was okay. King already. But and, and perhaps there are other events that you could say just as well were other coronations. In some ways, his whole life was a coronation to be the king of kings and lord of lords. But this is a pretty big event that gets emphasized um, throughout the scriptures. For instance, if uh, in Acts chapter one, all the apostles had to be people who were there and witnessed this event, who, who were there from his baptism on. Um, whenever uh, Jesus speaks about his own legitimacy as the son of God in the gospel of John in chapter five, he speaks to this event of when the father spoke to him. Um, this is just a big point of emphasis, Jesus being baptized. And of course he wasn't baptized for the same reasons the other people were, or the same reasons we are. Um, I think it's okay when people are like, Hey, you should be baptized because Jesus is baptized. True, except completely different. He wasn't baptized because he had sins to repent of and he needed to be forgiven and he needed to be saved. He was being baptized for this to be a public demonstration that he was truly the son of God. And yet God did choose to demonstrate that through Jesus doing something that sinners did. Jesus submitted to something that was honestly, it's kind of a humiliating thing. I hope we don't think about baptism that way, but it is kind of a humiliating act to have be a grown person and have another grown person lay you down in water and pick you back up again. That's not a real honorable, I'm important. Jesus right. participated in this thing that the sinners were doing. He was there in line with the sinners. He did the thing that the sinners did. And it's in that moment that God says, this is the king. This is the king of my kingdom. This one who's there among all of y'all. Yeah, I'm thinking about like Peter later on, we'll talk about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power when he's talking to Cornelius. Um, and, uh, we're talking about Jesus being the Christ. What does Christ mean? What does the word Messiah mean that is being used here? Well, it means the anointed one. So I think you're right on here. To me, this is Jesus' coronation. This is Jesus' anointing. In fact, um, I know movies, some movies would show otherwise, but actually there's no record in scripture of Jesus doing any miracles up until this time. Right. There's no record of Jesus doing any healings. It was at this point, Peter says, God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So this is the anointing. This is the inauguration. This is the coronation of Jesus's ministry. And to me, it is significant. And also, um, wow, just incredible um, that Jesus's inauguration, that his coronation would happen through baptism. Right. As you said, it is kind of a humbling thing. But I think even that is meant to foreshadow something. We learn later on in the book of Romans that baptism is a death, it's a burial, and it's a resurrection. And I wonder if Jesus' baptism in this moment 
isn't isn't in some ways hinting at. I mean, this is not the typical coronation. This is not the typical typical anointing uh, the way kings would normally be anointed. But I wonder if this is not hinting at, hey, this is he is the king. I mean, I've been to a lot of baptisms. I know you've seen a lot of baptisms. I ain't never seen a baptism like this. I ain't never seen the, the sky split open, the spirit descending like a dove. A voice comes out from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Again, see that key phrase in verse one. We're seeing it again here. Um, God is stressing to the people that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. But I think even here we have this little hint that actually the way Jesus is going to be proven to be king and be the son of God is not how we might expect. And the kind of king and the kind of son that Jesus is going to be is not what the people are going to expect either. 100%. I think that goes into the very next part of the story. Uh, so this is amazing. Jesus, I mean, John's been getting people prepped. The king is coming. The Christ is coming. Get ready. One mightier than me. Baptize him with the Holy Spirit. He's going to do all this stuff. The sky tears open. Imagine being there that day, going home, telling your friends, um, the, the spirit descends like a dove. The voice is, is, comes from heaven. This is amazing. We're ready now. And then the next, whatever you think the next scene is going to be, I don't think it's what we see next. Uh, go ahead and speak on it. Talk about Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, what do you see here? Well, it, it's wild to me that you think like the spirit descends on him like a dove and he gets anointed uh, with the Holy Spirit and with power and he's called the son of God. You'd think the next the next line would be, and then he mounts up on a white horse and he goes out and he conquers all the enemies and rides in to sit down on the throne. Not he gets driven out into nobody land like to the, and he's there 40 days being tempted and tested. Yeah, um, I think it, it's shocking to me when I read this, that the same spirit that's just, that's that's descending on him and anointing him is the one also driving him into the wilderness to be tempted. Maybe a reminder, though. That uh, that that being the son of God does not exempt us uh, and did not exempt him from temptation and from trials. Uh, he was going to go through temptations and trials just like we do. Uh, and that was, in fact, part of his purpose on this earth. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And once again, we're kind of keying on some of the, the differences here between Mark and the other Gospels. Uh, you can read more about Jesus' temptations in Matthew chapter four and Luke chapter four. But even right here, you get the the overarching point or, or a couple of overarching points with the temptations. And this is kind of bringing us to a, a take home lesson as we get ready to, to wrap this thing up here in just a minute. All these this theme that we've been charting through this beginning, that this is a story about the son of God, which I don't know if we said this explicitly. But when you go back to the Old Testament, the son of God is a, a quote that's found in places like 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 2, and a variety of other places that isn't just talking about a divine person, although Jesus is a divine, the divine son of God. Um, but it's talking about the king, the son of David, who would rule on the throne forever. That's, that's what we're talking about here. Isaiah 9, same kind of thing. Um, but in this, in this discussion about the king, Jesus the king, the kingdom of God, all that kind of stuff, what we're seeing from John to Jesus, and even in the message that Jesus preaches in verses 14 and 15, is a really important lesson that all of us need to take seriously if we're going to follow in the way of Jesus. And that is submission. So the temptation of Jesus is uh, an extreme act of submission. He submits himself, subjects himself 
to go out into this dangerous place. Talks about wild animals. Curious why that would be there. Maybe that's reminding us of pastimes and in the beginning of all things. Maybe it was reminiscent of some of the things that some of the Christians who had been reading this would have experienced. I don't know, but whatever it is, he submits himself to God's will to go out in the wilderness, which was really, in some way, the reason it was God's will is because Jesus needed to submit himself to the human experience of engaging in temptation and, and the difficulties and trials that come with that. And so uh, you got those two elements of submission right there, that he's putting himself under the control of the spirit of God. He's submitting to his father. He's even submitting to his fellow man rather than doing what he would, would have preferred to do or wanted to do. He's in submission in verses 14 and 15. That's what he preaches to everybody who will listen. It's kind of the same message that John preached. It's kind of the same message that the apostles are going to preach in Acts chapter two, beginning the time is fulfilled verse 15 and the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? repent. Don't keep on doing it your way. Turn to God's way and believe. Believe in what? The good news. What's the good news? That Jesus is the king, that the one who is mighty has come, the one with all authority has come. Repent and believe in the gospel. Submit, in other words. Don't keep on living your life on your terms and doing things your way. So we see this in Jesus' own life. I mean, his baptism is an act of submission. Going to the wilderness is an act of submission. His message and his preaching is calling us to submit to God. And John, of course, is the epitome of submission. He's submitting to God's will by going out preaching in the wilderness and doing all that kind of stuff. But also he's submitting himself to Jesus. How many people would have thousands and thousands of people at their beck and call, hanging on their every word, and then John just hands the keys over to Jesus because he understood this really important principle of submission. And if we're going to follow in the way of Jesus, we got to learn to be submissive people. It's not a very cool or powerful or um, even admirable trait, I think, in most people's books. But if we're going to follow in the way of Jesus, we got to learn to adopt a spirit of submission like we see here in this in these beginning stories. Well, and again, if this all makes sense, if we understand who Jesus is, yep. right? The king is not the kind of person that you invite into your life as your assistant. You know, a king is the one you submit to. I think this is hard for us. We're Americans. We live in a democratic republic. We're not used to anybody telling us what to do. But actually, to understand and appreciate that Jesus is king means, means for me that I've got to submit to him as king, that I, it's no longer my will, but his will that is being done. Uh, and so really, really critical to the beginning of the gospel of Mark and all throughout this book is if we want to follow in the way of Jesus, we must learn to submit to Jesus as king. Jesus is Lord on the throne of our hearts, and there's not room for two people to rule. I've got to submit my will to his will. Yeah. And Jesus shows us uh, the goodness of that himself. And, and all throughout, really, this starts here, but all throughout, we're going to get to the Garden of, uh, of Gethsemane, and he's going to pray not my will, but thy will be. He's going to model submission to the Father, and he's going to call us to follow in his footsteps. I think, right. by the way, if anybody wants to think more deeply about this, a great resource in the Bible is one of Jesus' first followers. Peter wrote about this in First Peter, beginning around chapter 2, middle of chapter 2, I should say. And Peter talks a lot about subjection and submission. He talks about citizens and government. He talks about workers. He talks about spouses. He talks about brethren amongst each other. And he says, hey, all these relationships are actually kind of little spiritual gymnasiums for you to go work out the muscles 
that need to grow your soul. And one of the primary ones is submission. But the point of that is, is that we would learn to be like Jesus and that we would learn to operate properly in relation to Jesus. Um, one of Jesus' other apostles would say, in terms of love, how can you love one who you've never seen if you can't love your brother who's right in front of you? And maybe there's a little bit of a similar lesson here. How can I really learn to submit to God and to submit to Jesus who I've never seen before? If I can't learn to submit to my parents, if I can't learn to submit to governing authorities, if I can't learn to submit to my boss, if I can't learn to submit to the needs of my spouse or the wishes of my spouse, uh, if I can't learn to submit to my, my family in Christ, whatever, if I can't learn to give up some of my control to let someone else have, have way, um, it's going to be hard for me to really have the kind of faith that, uh, that learns to submit to God in Christ. That's right. That reminded me in Zimbabwe uh, when we were traveling there, you remember the signs that say give way, you know, and that's the idea. You yield so that other people can have the way. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're yielding our um, our will to God's will and saying, God, I, I, I know the power of Jesus. I know the grace of Jesus that you would send your son into the world. Um, to live in this world and be tempted and tried as we are, uh, what love that is. Therefore, I'm going to yield, I'm going to give way in my life and yield my life to Jesus as Lord. Give way. If we want to follow in the way of Jesus, we got to give ourselves to the way of Jesus. So I love that. I forgot about that. It's good stuff. All right. Jesus is King and the kingdom of God is coming through him. That's what Mark's presenting to us at the beginning. And now we got to decide if we're going to submit to God as Jesus did, and if we're going to submit to Jesus as he calls us to. So we'll pick up next time, Lord willing. Uh, we're going to stop right there for today. Thanks for joining us. As always, let us know if we can do anything for you or help you out uh, as you seek to follow the way of Jesus. We're here for it, and we're doing our best to try to follow him ourselves, and we're here to help anybody else who wants to do the same. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, everybody. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.